Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. It's only about 2% of all of the incubators and accelerators globally are focused on climate technology. But at the same time, on the flip side, we know that 75% of the emissions reductions that we need by 2070 are coming through these sustainable development scenarios. And this technology, frankly, is in prototype phase or it hasn't reached commercial development. So in this context, we think about how do we speed up the scale and up the climate innovation technology that we need? And how do we bring the global community in to address this at the same time? So this is where we think about the different types of capital working together. Hey folks, when it comes to big companies' sustainability commitments, I've long been impressed by Salesforce. They made sustainability a core company value and pledged to put the full power of their business behind protecting the planet. Hold your skepticism for a minute. This is more than just big promises. They achieved net zero residual emissions and transitioned to 100% renewables for their operations back in 2021. They're part of an effort to plant 1 trillion trees, and they've integrated helping other companies accelerate their own sustainability efforts into their core business through their net zero cloud product. There's much more too, and I won't try to capture it all, but central to their approach has also been leveraging their financial capital to accelerate climate progress. And that's what we'll focus on in this episode. Today, we're joined by Salesforce's Senior Vice President of Philanthropy, Naomi Maranzoni, and the partner of Salesforce's Venture Impact Fund, Claudine Emiot. We talk about Salesforce's history and strategy for using philanthropy and impact investing together to address climate change, some examples of recent investments and partnerships, how philanthropy can help de-risk investments and bring more dollars to the table, how AI could be a game changer for climate, and much more. Lots to learn and think about in this one. Here we go. Naomi and Claudine, great to see you both. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. So I'm really grateful that we're getting to do this interview. And Naomi, I really have you to thank. We saw each other at Nation Swell's annual summit this last May. And when you mentioned that you enjoy listening to the podcast, it of course became a no-brainer to ask you to join for an episode. So thanks for listening and thanks for being here. Where are you both dialing in from today? I'm calling in from Bend, Oregon. And I am in San Francisco. All right, great. Well, glad that you both can make it. So much going on in the world. Really grateful for your time today. Would love to dive in. There's so much that I want to learn about and hear about because Salesforce is, of course, taking a real leadership stance and you're doing a ton of great work. 
And realistically, we won't get to cover it all today. I know there are several other ambitious efforts underway by our colleagues, but perhaps we'll have to do a separate episode to hear more. Let's get started and hear about the work that you both lead. Naomi, would you like to kick us off and share a bit about your role and what you're aiming to do? Yeah, thanks. So I lead Salesforce's climate and innovation philanthropy. These are the investments that we're making in solutions that are looking to prevent the worst impacts of climate change while helping our communities adapt to the climate realities that are here today. And we do all of this with a focus on equity. I also run a program that uses our technology coupled with our employee time, as well as funding to help accelerate the most promising solutions in our impact areas. Thanks, Naomi. Claudine, over to you. Would you mind introducing yourself as well? Of course. I lead the Salesforce Ventures Impact Fund, where for the last roughly six and a half years, I have been at the forefront of Salesforce's impact investing efforts that are part of the broader Salesforce Ventures arm. A little bit of background on Salesforce Ventures. We are one of the most active corporate venture arms in the world with over 400 portfolio companies around the world. And we have multiple strategies within the enterprise tech ecosystem. And specifically, I focus on companies that are changing the world for the better. They are making a positive impact on the planet and our people. And climate tech has become a really important focus area for our fund. Fantastic. It's really exciting to have you both here together so we can talk about that powerful combination of philanthropy and impact investing together and the impact of deploying capital in both of these ways to address climate change. Let's get a sense of the history of these two initiatives. Claudine, tell us about the early days. When was the Salesforce Venture Fund launched and what were some of the initial considerations and principles and how has it evolved? So I think, again, it's helpful just to orient our listeners in Salesforce Ventures more broadly, since I am part of that team. And Salesforce Ventures has a mission to create the world's largest ecosystem of enterprise cloud companies and accelerate their growth. In 2017, we introduced the first $50 million Salesforce Ventures Impact Fund, which aims to support a new generation of startups that are focused not only on building big enterprise software businesses, but also in driving positive impact for the people and our planet. Following the successful launch of that first fund, we launched later in 2020, a second fund of $100 million to continue this work and really double down the success we saw with our initial foray into impact investing. And again, I want to just emphasize here that Though we invest across a range of categories from education and workforce development and financial inclusion and digital health, climate tech has always been a core pillar of the impact fund. And even more in the last couple of years, it's really become our team's primary focus. And that's for obvious reasons. We must solve the climate crisis. And with the lean team in limited time, like everyone has, we've really redoubled our efforts to focus on identifying the best entrepreneurs in the cloud ecosystem, also tackling the climate crisis. Great. Thanks, Claudine. Naomi, over to you again. You've been supporting nonprofits at Salesforce for 10 years. Tell us about the evolution and the approach. So I've been supporting nonprofits at Salesforce for 10 years, but our philanthropic history goes way back. So it actually goes back to the founding moment of our company when at that time we set aside 1% of product, 1% of equity, and 1% of time to supporting our communities. We call this our 111 philanthropic model. And the idea at that time 
was actually a pretty easy commitment to make because at the time we didn't really have any employees. Our equity wasn't worth anything. And our product was really just like a concept in that moment. But what we were doing there was making an early commitment to leveraging our future success. And really this idea of integrating impact and integrating and serving all of our stakeholders into our core business and our stakeholders, including our planet and our communities. So this one 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 model has grown over time. So now fast forward 25 years, and we're looking at over $600 million donated to our communities, 50 plus thousand nonprofits that run their mission on Salesforce, and our employees have volunteered over 8 million hours. So it's really a huge part of how we think about our business and how we think about showing up in our communities. And our focus has historically for a long time been in the education space. We have long-standing partnerships with public schools and education nonprofits. But a couple years ago, we really took a step back and asked ourselves the question, what is the impact that we need to have in this world and how does philanthropy play a role? And that's when we launched our Ecosystem Restoration and Climate Justice Fund, and it was a 10-year, $100 million commitment to driving impact in the climate space. And now our two core areas of focus from our philanthropy are the areas of education and climate. Fantastic. Well, big numbers and really not just dollars, but the number of hours, the number of organizations that you're reaching really shows that scale that's maybe familiar only to those that work at places like Salesforce. So thanks for that overview. Let's go deeper into the problems that you're solving through this dual approach of philanthropy and impact investing. Claudine, tell us a bit more about your investment thesis. You described that the investment fund doesn't only focus on climate, but climate is a main focus. And help us understand within climate the types of companies that are the best fit for your fund. Sure. Well, again, we are part of a larger enterprise software fund. And that's for obvious reasons. We are an enterprise software company. So it is what we know best. And it's also where we can add the most value. And that's a really important part of our investment thesis. When we're thinking about where to deploy capital, we want to be strategic value-added partners to the companies we invest in. Obviously, enterprise software solutions are a natural fit for us to be able to leverage all of the expertise we have inside the Salesforce ecosystem, whether that's on general topics related to building a SaaS company or maybe more specific related to building a climate business. So that's the underpinning of our investment thesis, but I'll drill down deeper. We typically invest our first check in Series A and Series B stage companies, so on the earlier side of the funding spectrum. And we have done later growth stage rounds as well. Those are typically for companies where we are already an investor and know the companies very well. The focus areas that we have already worked on within climate range from energy efficiency platforms or essentially recognizing the transition that's happening rapidly from dirty fossil fuels that power our grid to renewable sources and as well as the electrification that is happening across multiple sectors, including transportation, for example. We've done investments that touch on what I'll broadly refer to as the built environment. We have made an investment in nature-based solutions in climate adaptation, which is newer for us because we've historically focused primarily on climate change mitigation. But the reality is we do need solutions in both categories. And we see that every day now with constant litany of climate catastrophes, big and small. So we have to be thinking not just about how we can 
mitigate the worst of what's to come, but also how we prepare communities to adapt to the realities of an already changed climate. Great. So a wide range of investments across mitigation and adaptation with enterprise software solutions as a consistent theme. Perhaps a good example of that is Pano AI, a company that you recently invested in. Tell us a bit about them, what they're doing, and why it was a good fit for the fund. Yes, Pano AI is one of our most recent investments and one we're extremely excited about. And it's representative of that last category I was just talking about, climate adaptation. It's a company that I had been following for a good year and a half or so before we made an investment. And from my experience, that's always a great way to start an investment relationship is to really get to know the founder over time. And importantly, in this case too, I was able to connect the Pano team inside relevant resources inside Salesforce. So I think they could get a sense of the ways in which we could provide value as an investor early on. And I think that helps build that relationship before an investment opportunity is even on the table. But when the opportunity did arise, I was really excited about the progress that Pano had made. Pano is a software solution with a small hardware component that provides early wildfire detection. So it's leveraging off-the-shelf hardware that is a 360 rotating camera positioned on towers like tall cell towers. And they combine that hardware with their proprietary and sophisticated software and AI to be able to rapidly identify if there is an early wildfire starting. And then their customers range from utilities to local government entities to large private landowners. And they're able to very quickly alert their customers and the other necessary agencies in terms of first responders so that they have the on-the-ground information that's extraordinarily detailed to be able to get to that fire as quickly as possible. And as the founder says, like with cancer, early detection is really critical in achieving an ultimate win. And that we see the same thing with wildfire. If you're able to squash it at its outset, then you're really ahead of the game and you're likely going to mitigate the worst of the possible outcomes. Well, certainly a problem that's been on everyone's minds, not just on the West Coast, but sadly, people across the country dealt with wildfires and smoke this year. So it's exciting to hear that there are technology solutions that might help. Another company you invested in is WeaveGrid. Tell us about them. Yes, another great company. So WeaveGrid was the first investment that the Salesforce Ventures Impact Fund led. And it's a company that we're really excited about in the EV space. This is an area that we have been tracking for a long time. But given that we're a software fund, we're looking for those solutions that are not asset heavy. And WeaveGrid is really addressing a really interesting pain point in the rapid electrification of the transportation industry, specifically for utilities and EV owners. So utilities are grappling with what is an influx of EVs on the grid at a pace that was pretty unfathomable five years ago. But the growth of EVs is soaring and the intensity of charging an EV on the grid is, is a lot for our aging infrastructure to handle. So what WeaveGrid does with its sophisticated software solution is orchestrates managed charging so that the owner is charging when our utility rates are lowest and also when our energy is cleanest. And that's a win-win for both the EV owner as well as the utility. Claudine, Salesforce, of course, is not just a regular venture investor. You've got many other capabilities that you can bring. And I'm curious, are you able to leverage some of Salesforce's technology, expertise, or market presence in some ways that really help your portfolio companies? Absolutely. That's a huge part of our value and 
why we're able to get a wedge into what, what are often competitive deals. When we think about the ecosystem we have at Salesforce, it ranges from expertise on topics like sales enablement and go-to-market, how to build a growth engine at scale, to human resources topics and marketing. You name it, we have an expert inside Salesforce who can tackle a question related to building a software company. And I think our portfolio companies really appreciate being able to tap into that expertise. So that's one area. Then secondly, there often are more strategic product-driven areas of potential integration or collaboration. So when we think about the climate tech sector, there are a couple areas within the company where we see a lot of opportunity for synergy. And those are Net Zero Cloud, which is our own carbon accounting platform, as well as our Energy Utilities Cloud, which is obviously really thinking critically about how to work with our utility customers with the, on the energy transition. And also other areas where it might be a little bit less expected, but Auto Cloud, for example, and I just talked about Weavegrid and how they work with automakers as well as utilities. There are a lot of points within the Salesforce ecosystem where a portfolio company can plug in and gain expertise, but also work with product leaders and go to market leaders inside Salesforce and how we can also develop joint solutions that we can take to market together that are more powerful. One plus one equals three. And then the final thing I'll note is, of course, we have an incredible customer ecosystem. And that's something that we are really working to activate. And we have various programs across Salesforce Ventures that connect our companies into CXOs from Fortune 500 companies that are part of the Salesforce network. And it's an incredible opportunity for our companies to get exposure to those large potential customers and partners, but also for those customers of Salesforce. They also really enjoy the exposure to the most interesting tech forward solutions out there that we're able to bring them from the Salesforce Ventures portfolio. So we connect companies to customers and curated one-to-one introductions, as well as demo days and other strategic events that bring together companies on dedicated topics like generative AI. Great. Thank you, Claudine. Naomi, let's come back to you and hear about some of your philanthropic commitments. Tell us about the frameworks you use to consider different impact opportunities for climate. And given your use of philanthropic capital, how does your focus differ from Claudine? And So philanthropy has a very unique and critical role that it plays in the broader spectrum of climate action. So unlike other types of funding, philanthropy is that ultimate flexible capital that really allows you to take risks, to test new solutions, to build capacity. And ultimately, if we're successful, it's going to crowd in other investors, right? So the other thing it can do is it can really infuse directly into local communities, making sure that we're supporting those who are most vulnerable to the climate impacts and who often are closest to the climate solutions. And we do this in a range of ways, but I want to draw it back directly to what Claudine's talking about in our venture work and specifically the work that we do in supporting ecopreneurship or entrepreneurs who are working in the climate space philanthropically. So if we look at the data, it's only about 2% of all of the incubators and accelerators globally are focused on climate technology. But at the same time, on the flip side, we know that 75% of the emissions reductions that we need by 2070 are coming through these sustainable development scenarios. And this technology, frankly, is in prototype phase or it hasn't reached commercial development. So in this context, we think about how do we speed up 
the scale of the climate innovation technology that we need? And how do we bring the global community in to address this at the same time? So this is where we think about the different types of capital working together. So philanthropic capital that isn't seeking a return can do that de-risking. It can cover high upfront costs that might exist within climate tech solutions. It's patient capital. It can wait on those longer timelines. And it can do some of the capacity building and infrastructure that it needs to happen. And we're doing all this work. The other thing from a philanthropic perspective is really focused on the equity piece of this, right? We need to ensure that there's equity in our investments, that when we think about climate change, which we know are having a disproportionate impact on women, on people on color, of developing regions, we need to make sure that our historical underinvestment in these groups doesn't continue to play out as we're building this climate tech space. So our investment in ecopreneurship is really trying to supercharge both the top of that funnel but also thinking about changing the capital flows, thinking about changing the capital flows to representative leaders, to leaders who are in their community with the right solution, but don't have access to the networks that they need in order to, to accelerate this. So we've some supported really great organizations like Elemental Accelerator. And actually, WeaveGrid came through Elemental Accelerator. So a great example of how Philanthropy can sort of supercharge and support that early stage innovation that then crowds in later funding, like through the Salesforce Ventures and the Impact Fund. So it's really thinking about how can we make this capital work together in better ways? It's not always going to work that beautifully, but really thinking, trying to work comprehensively and not have our funding strategies working in silos. I'd love to hear more about the state of climate philanthropy. Many cite the stat that less than 2% of global philanthropic giving goes to climate. Is that a big problem? And if so, what needs to happen to drive more philanthropy to climate? Climate philanthropy is a historically underfunded area of work, unfortunately. I think the good news is that the global community is really waking up right now and understanding that if we don't address our world that is heating up, that a lot of the other things that we need to address are simply, it's just not going to work. The conversation that is happening is, yes, we need more philanthropy in, but we need smarter philanthropy as well. We need it smarter and we need it more connected and coordinated with the other public and private financing that sometimes is just sitting on the sidelines because it, a solution hasn't been sufficiently de-risked. But I'll also say what we're seeing, and I think the announcement you heard from Rockefeller recently of their billion-dollar commitment around climate, is that climate is intersectional with every other issue that we are trying to address. So if you have a historic footprint in education, there's a climate intersection. If your footprint is in health, climate and health are intersectional. This work is all interrelated. And so thinking about how do we coordinate better our investment strategies to make sure that this isn't a zero-sum game, that all of this is coming together to have greater impact. Well, getting more capital into the space that's smarter, more connected and coordinated, as you say, is something you've actually been working on. I'm, of course, referring to the Climate Finance Playbook that you recently launched, which I think is actually a great example of how Salesforce's leadership is not just in doing what it can do and making the investments that it can make, but also trying to accelerate the overall ecosystem. Claudine, Naomi, will one of you please tell us about the playbook, how it came about, and what it's aiming to do? 
I'm really excited about the climate finance playbook. The genesis of this report that we did in partnership with the Climate Policy Initiative was that Salesforce has been working in climate funding, whether through philanthropy, through our ventures, through our own decarbonization of our operations in line with our carbon action. We had been doing a lot of different work, but even as we stepped back, we recognized that it maybe was a little piecemeal. It wasn't always working in the greatest coordination. There were perhaps opportunities that we could go after and look at, but didn't know necessarily where we should start, what the best practices were. And we've realized if we were having the same question, we knew that our peers and our partners were having the same question. So with Climate Policy Initiative, we went out and we did that research and we went on a journey of asking companies. We did, I think we've interviewed 18 different companies to help understand how corporations can both raise capital, manage capital, and deploy capital in service of climate action. And going through everything from a taxonomy of what the different types of finance vehicles that are exist out there, and to be clear, this is a starter guide, this is not the definitive tome, but some of the most readily used and available types of climate financing that corporations has. It went through questions of who are your stakeholders? What are the things they're likely going to ask you? What may be some of the risks in using this type of capital? What may be some of the returns that are part of it? And lays it out in a way to make it as actionable as possible for other organizations to pick this up and use this as sort of a starter guide for them. It also has some really good case studies of organizations that have used something, a different type of capital, why they did it, what worked, what didn't work, and pieces like that. We invite others to take a look at it and provide feedback. This is the beginning of it, but we think it's a really important piece to start that conversation within companies. A key point of the playbook is really to illustrate the range of different financial instruments available to corporations and how they can be leveraged. And this clearly stems from Salesforce's own experience of using different financial tools. So tell us about those different instruments and how this section relates to your own experience. We are still early in our journey, but we have used a range of different financial instruments to think about this. And I represent the philanthropic side. So we have this $100 million ecosystem restoration and climate justice fund that I spoke about. But we've also made commitments around $100 million in carbon dioxide removal and purchasing of renewable energy certificates from small distributed energy projects. We've also issued a billion-dollar fully executed sustainability bond. And then, of course, the work that Claudine has been talking about within the Ventures Fund. So commitments that we have around using this range of capital. Great. So the types of levers that I'm noting are philanthropy, venture investments, green bonds, what did I miss? Renewable energy commitments, decarbonizing a supply chain. So for a technology company, that looks pretty straightforward. But for a company like Seventh Generation, where you're looking at inputs from farms around the world and a complex value chain, it's very different. And so the climate finance playbook really covers a range of companies with different business models and therefore different carbon intensity profiles. And, and those require different solutions. And I think the amazing thing about this playbook is it really shows the breadth of opportunities out there to really change how companies do business. Yeah, I'll give you another example, Jason. 
Building on what Claudine was mentioning about seventh generation, one of the tools that they use, and we talk about this in the playbook, is an internal carbon price. They actually set an internal carbon price, which is $12 for every tons of emissions. And this includes scope three, where most of their emissions originate. And they use it to support R&D for different sustainable development within their ingredients. But one of the things that they found over time was that the funds were being charged on an annual basis, but it wasn't actually aligning to when the production timelines were taking place. And so they had to go back and continue to innovate and push on how they might use it. And now it goes into a centralized fund that isn't needing to be dispersed on an annual basis the way it originally was intended. And so what I think you also see in the playbook is that this is an iterative path that we're all on, right? So even if you start something like an internal carbon price, you might have to flex, you might have to iterate on that. And so learning from those who have gone before you on how to use the different types of climate finance, the things to be aware of that may be something that you're going to run into or the stakeholders you're going to need to engage with, whether that's the board or leadership or finance, these are all a part of this journey that we're collectively on. One thing I think is really exciting about the playbook is how actionable it is. It includes five tips for readers to start or grow their climate finance journey. Without getting into too much detail, tell us about those five tips. Okay, so I'm going to ask everyone to go download it so that they can read in details the different pieces of the five tips. But really at the highest level, it's number one, you need to understand your goals and the trade-offs that you're willing to make on your climate journey. That's the number one thing you have to start with. Then you have to think about working with the key stakeholders to weigh in on these objectives and gain buy-in. That could be in your supply chain. Maybe that's legal, finance, philanthropy, leadership, and board, all of those different stakeholders. The third thing is explore your climate finance options and what it would take to activate them. So what is some of the low-hanging fruit that might exist out there that you could do? What is some of the stretch goals that you might have? What is right for what your company is in at that moment? Number four is then you got to put it all together, right? You have to build a holistic climate finance strategy that optimizes to those goals using the resources that you have available. And then the last thing, and I think anyone who works in a corporation understands this, you got to be ready with the right moment with the right climate finance plan. If you have steps one through four, you will be ready when that moment comes, when someone turns to you and says, what are we doing here? When new legislation is passed that opens up new concessions or new things that are, they make it easier to use those levers, you have it ready in place and ready to go. Thank you for summarizing so much so quickly. We will definitely include a link to the playbook in the show notes so folks can read the full things for themselves. Salesforce also recently announced $8.3 million in grants to climate justice and conservation organizations. And I'd love to talk about both investment areas. Let's start with conservation. I know in the past you've supported conservation groups ranging from the Nature Conservancy to Save the Bay to American Forest to Arbor Day. Tell us about the state of play in conservation, what's at stake, and what you're hoping to achieve through your grant funding. So we really believe that the climate crisis and the biodiversity and nature crises are twin ones, right? And that you cannot solve one unless you address both. Our efforts that we have both on our climate mitigation is thinking about obviously our own footprint, but also thinking about how we can protect and restore nature 
Here in philanthropy, this is, again, really important. This is where we're thinking about the critical early stage catalytic work that needs to happen for us to drive and support nature-based solutions. This could be funding feasibility studies or demonstration projects. This could be new business models that are nature-positive business models and creating those enabling conditions to get more projects basically off the sidelines and into a place where we can crowd in the other investors. I'll give you one example, which I think is a great way that we're looking at this. So we have a project that we've invested in with the Ocean Foundation, and it's in Ixcalac, Mexico. This is a traditional Mayan fishing village. This is outside where the tourism is. And this is an area where mangroves have been used over time to protect the coastline, but they've also been decimated through hurricanes and other types of development. We're working with them on a mangrove restoration project. And there we're doing that early feasibility pre-development work. So understanding, is this site appropriate for mangrove restoration? Do they have local stakeholder buy-in? Is this the place where all of the conditions from ecological, from a project logic perspective, is this going to work? And is this restoration going to be feasible? We don't know if it is going to. And if it is, that has the potential for verification to end up on the carbon markets to be able to create a continual funding stream for this community. But what we need philanthropy to do is to invest in these early site projects to do that work that Frankly, the organization's already doing, they're just not getting paid to do it. So we need to increase that pipeline of strong projects that are doing great work to sequester carbon, to safeguard carbon, to protect biodiversity, and also to increase the livelihoods of the communities there where we're doing the work. No, I I love the way that you framed the intersection between the biodiversity and the climate crises and how they are really twins that need to be addressed together. The rate at which companies have made climate commitments has been exciting in recent years. Many would argue the commitments aren't bold enough, but still carbon emissions are clearly something that companies now care and think about. Biodiversity hasn't hit the radar as much, and I'm curious if biodiversity and conservation will be next. Will companies begin to make commitments in protecting nature like they have for carbon? Absolutely, is what I say. I think we're, again, working up to this world where we recognize that climate and nature are inextricably linked and that you have to address both. Now, every company may not be addressing both, just like every funder may not be addressing both. They also from their climate action plan, have to know where that prioritization is. But we're in a moment now where governments are also making global commitments. So for example, at the UN Biodiversity Conference, COP15, we're making these commitments to halt and reverse nature, including the protections of 30% of the planet by 2030. So there is a global agreement on the increased need for private sector to step up and support this effort. And I think if you think about it as a tech company, We are deeply invested in this area. We recognize the need to protect nature, to restore nature, to disclose our own impacts on nature. And we are not your traditional profile of a company with a large footprint. And so this is coming and it's increasing. And so I think for other companies to be able to reach their climate goals, they're going to have to look at nature as a part of that. Okay, let's move on to climate justice now. It's also been a core commitment for your philanthropy. Tell us about a couple of your partners and what they're doing. What I've been hearing a lot of, which is really heartening for me, is that the climate transition and the energy transition is inevitable at this point. 
But what we know is not inevitable is that that transition is going to be equitable and that those who are historically hit first and worst from by climate change are going to be participating in our solutions. So this is where a place that philanthropy has a really important role in centering our work on our communities and centering on justice and ensuring that we are supporting the organizations who are closest to those solutions and in our local communities. So some of this work that we think about is thinking about changing some of how we even fund, right? Anyone who's spent a lot of time talking to me knows that I talk about unrestricted funding as the holy grail of philanthropy because it is really hard to come by. But when we look at organizations that are led in the U.S. by leaders of color, they receive 75% less unrestricted funding than their white-led counterparts. So this is inequities that are within our system, even of how we fund. And so we have to be leaning into supporting organizations that are doing the right work that are from our communities, and we need to be providing that unrestricted funding to them. We also need to be supporting solutions that are really bringing the benefits of the clean energy transition to low and moderate income communities. So this is why we're investing in organizations like New Nexus Energy, which really empowers diverse entrepreneurs to participate in the clean energy sector. Or another great example is um, an organization called Revolve, which is putting solar on the rooftops of nonprofits for $0 downs, right? So these are helping the nonprofits put the dollars they're saving from their energy bills and putting it right back into their mission. This is how we can continue to push forward and support this equitable clean energy transition. I love that you're supporting Revolve. They were actually a winner of an open innovation challenge that I got to oversee while at IDEO, I don't know, probably 10 years ago when they were just getting started. It's awesome that they're still around and doing great work and that they reached your radar. Claudine, equity is important to your team as well. I noticed that 68% of your portfolio companies have a female or underrepresented founder or CEO. And when it comes to board representation, that number is actually 80%. A lot of investors profess wanting to support diverse teams. Tell us what it takes to realize that aspiration in practice and any advice you have for other investors. For us, Jason, we incorporated diversity as a core goal from the very get-go with the fund. So when we think about all of the categories we're investing, underpinning that is not just a thesis in investing in enterprise software. There's also a thesis in investing in diverse entrepreneurs. And like Naomi mentioned earlier about the intersectionality among categories like climate and workforce development and health. I think that there's something too in the intersectionality of diversity in all these categories. And we think a lot about how some entrepreneurs bring a lived experience to the problem that they are solving. And that is specific to who they are and where they grew up and their background that makes them potentially see something differently than someone else would. And The reality is with climate, as Naomi has already laid out so eloquently, the worst impacts are felt by the world's most vulnerable. And so we want to be certain that across our fund and all the categories we're investing, we're investing with a diversity lens because we believe that if we don't, we're going to miss some of the very best innovations out there. And I think in terms of how we do it, we try to be really intentional and we think about diversity kind of through our pipeline funnel. and. We want to be sure that as a team, we're 
frequently and consistently meeting with entrepreneurs from all different types of backgrounds so that when it ultimately comes down to investment decisions, we are continuing to support people who, who bring the diversity of experiences. I also think that as you make investments in diverse founders, that practice builds on itself. And so as other funders who are not other founders look at potential investors, they can look at our fund and they can see a range of entrepreneurs reflected in it. And I'll also note we are a women-only team right now, which is relatively unique in the space where we work. That also, I think, is powerful when particularly a woman founder is looking at potential investors and wanting to see herself reflected in the faces she sees on team web pages. Let's talk briefly about AI. Salesforce announced recently the AI for Impact, a $2 million fund to make sure generative AI tech is open to all. There's been several other Salesforce product announcements related to AI. How is AI impacting the work that you're both doing from a climate perspective? So when we look at the nonprofit side from the philanthropic side, what we hear from our partners is that Three quarters of them will tell us that digital transformation is a need to have or a must have in terms of serving their mission. But most of them lack the resources to fully adopt, to understand and invest in this emerging technology. And this is even more so when we look at things like generative AI. That is the genesis for us of our Salesforce accelerators. This is actually our second accelerator that we ran. The first one was on nature. And the idea of the accelerator is that it provides a safe space for nonprofits to take risks. So in our first accelerator, which is the Salesforce Accelerator for Nature, we're providing nonprofits with that flexible capital, the technology and the pro bono support to pursue these big ideas. And in our first cohort, we've got really incredible organizations. They've got global forest generation, Green Wave, Island Conservation, Rainforest Connection. And they're doing really innovative things like remote sensing to listen for the sound of the chainsaw in the forest to be able to understand if there's illegal logging and deforestation happening so it can then go and alert really quickly the local rangers and forest protectors. So it's solutions like that that's going to allow us to meet those climate goals that we have while also being able to support the organizations that are at the front line that often don't have the space, the time, the flexibility, and the resources to pursue that emerging technology. Thanks, Nomi. Claudine, what about for you? Well, Salesforce has been investing in AI for a decade. Today, though, those efforts have really picked up in intensity with the advent of generative AI and so many companies coming out in that sector in the last couple of years. Today, Salesforce Ventures is really focused on creating an ecosystem of responsible generative AI companies for the enterprise. You may have seen that we announced a generative AI fund earlier in the year. And since then, we've invested in companies across the generative AI stack. But there are a couple that intersect with my area of focus as well in climate tech. Maybe not generative AI, but Pano AI, which I mentioned earlier as an early wildfire detection platform, is utilizing AI that we typically see in other technologies, deployments like autonomous vehicles, to be able to quickly detect whether an image that could be smoke is actually smoke or potentially fog. And that's how they're deploying AI in in one example of their solution. But another company that I think is worth mentioning, it's not actually in the impact fund portfolio, but 
in the generative AI fund, this part of Salesforce Ventures is Hugging Face. It's an AI company that has become an industry leader as well in how it's approaching sustainability. You may be aware that large language models require vast amounts of energy to train and run. And it's still a bit of a mystery exactly how big these models' carbon footprints really are. But Hugging Face believes it's come up with a new and better way to calculate that more precisely by estimating emissions produced during the model's whole life cycle rather than just during training. So we think Hugging Face, in addition to its technological prowess in generative AI, also is really interesting from a climate lens by providing more realistic data on the carbon footprint of AI products. It's been easy and fun to focus on all the progress that you're making. I'd love to hear for a second about something that you're actually struggling with right now. I can jump in, Jason, and it's a natural bridge from what I was just speaking about on AI. We are constantly, as a team, refreshing our theses around the different sectors where we're investing because, of course, markets are changing, technology is changing all the time. And I don't think we've ever felt that pace of change more acutely than we have in the last year. We have started the work across our areas of focus of refreshing our market maps and looking at companies that are maybe newly incorporating AI or companies that are newly founded incorporating AI. And I think with some sectors like education, the intersection with AI is really obvious. And we're going to see that sector change quite rapidly, I think, in the next year or two. I think with climate, we're still kind of grappling with the impact of generative AI for the climate tech sector and enterprise software. So while we have companies like Pano AI and WeaveGrid and others that have long incorporated artificial intelligence into, into their platforms, I think the advent of generative AI is still new for climate and we as a team are really trying to wrap our heads around what the future looks like in that space and how AI can, I hope, really accelerate solutions to tackle the hardest challenges in climate. A final question for either of you to leave off on a more positive note for folks. Salesforce made sustainability a core company value, and I've heard it said that you're working to use the full power of the company for the planet. And so I'm really curious what others should learn from Salesforce's experience about holding such an ambitious mindset and what should listeners think about and do to successfully leverage their company fully to address climate change. What gives me hope that I would share with others is that even in the midst of the crisis that we're in, there is so much energy and passion and momentum right now to do big things, to do what the world needs us to do, that my advice to any company that's trying to think about how do you go bigger, how do you use your full capital stack, is advice that I was given or direction I was given from my Salesforce leaders, which is if you aim for the stars, land on the moon. If we don't set our sights high, if we don't do everything that we can. We're not going to get to where we need to. And it also gives you the hope that even if you don't make the goals that you had hoped you would make, you're going to make some incredible progress. And it is progress that we as a world desperately need right now. Claudine, Naomi, thank you both so much for your time today, for all the work that you're doing. It's great to see you and best of luck. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. 
find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.